You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, recently I had a conversation with one of my buddies. He's kind of a a truck nut, a car nut, and he told me that Interstate Batteries makes, from a technical standpoint, some of the best car batteries on the market period hands down not only that but they have thousands of retail locations all over the united states so stop in to a local retail store ask the guy who works there about their car batteries and hell you might as well put one in if they're the best in the business so interstatebatteries.com is their website go there find out more information about the culture of the company the batteries that these guys carry or just stop into a, a local retail store interstate batteries outrageously dependable this is the average conservationist podcast brought to you in partner with two percent for conservation 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of time plus 1% of money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and money back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. All right. Welcome back, everyone, uh, wherever you may be listening from. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing, and this is episode 11. Uh, today, I am joined by Brian Chaika of Michigan. Um, it was a really fun conversation that Brian and I had. Um, you know, this was the first time um, really um, prior to sitting down or you know, this is the first time having, uh, a, you know, an in-depth conversation with Brian and the more we talk, the more um, I kind of realized that Brian and I had a, a pretty similar upbringing in terms of the outdoors, um, even as you know as far along as college when kind of took a hiatus because of, of other things that <clears throat> became kind of a, a priority um, in college. So it was cool to, to hear his journey um, through the outdoors, into conservation, uh, as well as a lot of the um, the great work that Brian's doing here in Michigan. Um, I'm actually hoping to have the opportunity um, to work with Brian and some other um, guys here in Michigan on a project um, for kind of a, a specialty hunt um, down here in, in Southeast Michigan um, that I know he and um, some other members of some other groups have been working on uh, up to this point uh, in preparation. So something I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Um, Brian is a guy who, who really likes to 
to get his hands dirty. He likes to do a lot of the um, boots on the ground type of work. Um, that's where he gets uh, a lot of his joy and fulfillment out of. Um, it also allows him to to get his young daughters uh, involved with it as well, which is, is great, getting them exposed and, and being able to do things like this uh, as a family. So, uh, you know, we get to, we talk a lot about conservation in the outdoors, but we also get to kind of talk about gear a little bit and, you know, relive the glory days um, a little bit as well. So um, just, just an overall really fun conversation with Brian. Uh, but before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to talk about our partners over at Stone Glacier. Um, some of the Western states have actually already started their season um, and more are about to, to kick off here in the coming weeks. Uh, and whitetail season here in the Midwest is right around the corner. Uh, so if you haven't uh, got all your gear, if you're still looking to kind of round out your system, definitely be sure to head over to the website, stoneglacier.com. Uh, whether you need packs, um, base layers, outer layers, insulating layers for late season, uh, you know, some lightweight sleep systems, um, just all sorts of gear uh, that you may be looking for. Uh, Stone Glacier has what you're looking for. Um, I can attest to some of the packs I have, the Sky 5900, which is um, a bit more of a probably five to seven day pack. And then I have the Avail 2200. Uh, that's a great day pack, whether you're you know, just trudging around in the woods, hanging cameras or, you know, whatever the case is, it's a, <clears throat> it's a pack that's perfect for something like that. Um, so again, definitely be sure to check them out, stoneglacier.com. Uh, they also recently came out with an app, um, whether you're using uh, Apple or Android, check them out on iTunes or Google Play and download their app and, and stay up to date with all of the latest um, happenings with Stone Glacier. Okay, joining me on the phone today, I have uh, another fellow resident of the great state of Michigan here, uh, Brian Chaika. Brian, how's it going today? It's going pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing well, thanks. I know we uh, we talked for a few minutes here before we started recording, and, and if anyone, well, when the episode comes out, they'll see the spelling of your last name so they can understand why we had to <laughs> have a conversation for a few minutes about how to properly pronounce that, and like I said before, like i I would have butchered it had I just tried to, to to wing it and take a stab at it. Yeah, no, no worries. It's uh, you're not the first. You won't be the last. My my great grandparents would question you for having an issue on why you can't pronounce it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's something that gets uh, mispronounced pretty regularly. Yeah, so it it's funny. Um, you know, when we were first introduced um, by Jared to to get you on the podcast here. Um, you know, the kind of the first thing I do is, is once someone says like, I'll try to like look them up on Instagram or, or Facebook or something like that. And then I look you up on Instagram and we start following each other. And then I see, you know, how involved you are and, you know, you're out, you know, you're fishing with Zach Snyder, who was on a few weeks ago. Um, you know, you're, you're volunteering at a, a project down at the refuge down there with, uh, Josh Hilliard of QDMA. So it's kind of cool to see like how small of a, a community is especially here in southeast michigan um you know that conservation in the outdoors really is yeah absolutely and those um admittedly you know a lot of the stuff that i do is because i'm you know closely connected to them they do a lot of the groundwork the behind the scenes stuff to set things up um and it it really makes it easy for volunteers folks like me to you know show up on the day of i i, I try and help as much as i can behind the scenes if there's little things here or there but um, those guys that you mentioned, it's incredible the amount of time and effort that they put in behind the scenes before the day of those boots, boots on the ground type events. Yeah. So when, um, 
don't know if it was Josh or if it was Zach that had posted something about kind of doing some initial scouting at the refuge down there for that uh, that hunt. Like as soon as I saw that, I, I had to comment on that. I was like, hey, I, I want to get involved in this. You know, how can I help? So I kind of exchanged a few emails with, with Josh there, and I'm, I'm hoping that, um, assuming timing and everything works out, that I can get down there with you guys and and help. You know, set some stands for this for this hunt that you guys have coming up down there. Yeah, that one is actually pretty near and dear to me. Um, again, Zach and Zach and Josh get a lot of the credit for doing the behind the scenes stuff as far as setting up, um, you know, access permits. There's there's a lot of um, you know red tape and hoops to be jumped through in order for us to even be out there because it is a federal wildlife refuge. Right. Um, but again, that one that one's near and dear to me purely because um, Zach and another buddy of ours applied for that specific hunt. A few years ago uh, i was fortunate enough to be taken as a guest hunter so if you're drawn for that hunt you're allowed to bring one guest with you who can hunt and i i actually um out of the four of us that were down there during those uh couple of days i was the the one guy who was able to harvest a deer so it's uh it's really cool for a few reasons one because i kind of have that experience out there and then two um something else that i'm i'm pretty passionate about is just access in general you know it's it's one of those things where it's it's kind of um it's in a very urban spot there's a lot of you know development industrial type stuff in the immediate area um and there's a lot of people there's it's you know it's a very highly uh populated very you know dense population in that southeast uh, michigan area where it's located so it's a perfect example of, you know, you really don't have to drive super far away from home if you're, you're you know, you're living in a place like that to have opportunity to get out and hunt. Um, again, it's it's not your traditional, like, open season. It is one of those, you know, draw type things, but um, it, it's, it's opportunity. So when exactly is that hunt set to take place? Yeah. Uh, so they, they did it a couple of years ago. I think it was maybe two or three years. It, uh, it, it was ongoing. They took a break, I think last year. And I believe this year they're looking to reopen it. And as far as when, um, so you can apply for, you know, the one or two or however many dates it is that you are interested in hunting out there. And you're, you know, you either draw it or you don't. Right. Um, and then if you do draw it, you're assigned, you know, within this zone, you and your partner, if you choose to bring one, can hunt these specific set locations on these dates. I think it's like three dates that they give you okay. um, to hunt. Um, and that, that you know, so the, the specific locations, that's kind of the, the, the involvement that we're in right now is, is working with the Michigan DNR to identify and propose, you know, some, some spots that we've scouted out based on proximity to food, cover, water, ease of access, suitability for having um, either a ground blind or a stand in there. That's really what we're doing. So when, when we spent that afternoon walking around out there, it was identifying these are the couple of spots that we think would be good for you guys to put in some, uh, put in some stands. And then if they accept that, um, that's kind of part two of the project is putting together an actual work day, um, whether it's, you know, clearing lanes or hanging the stands or, um, things like that, just getting a group of people together to, to get everything prepped and ready for the hunt to happen. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, obviously coming in, uh, for, for myself coming in a little bit later in the process. I mean, that's something that like I enjoy, I mean, like hanging stands, stuff like that. I mean, the, the property that, that I hunt, um, 
primarily with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law. Um, you know, my brother, my brother-in-law and I are doing a lot of the setup. We're doing all the scouting, um, hanging all the stands and everything like that. And he's not one that's real keen on, on heights, especially when it comes to like putting the stand up, you know, that first climb up there when you got to ratchet everything in, like he's just, (laughs) he gets a little weary about that. So I'm always the one that finds myself kind of hanging off the tree or anything like dangling from, from safety lines and stuff like that to try to get things hooked in. So yeah, to come down there and and hopefully be able to help is something I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I'm going to throw a shameless plug out for saddle hunting, man. You got to get on board with that. It's like, uh, what do they say? Crossfitters and vegans and saddle hunters will let you know that that's what they're about within the first few minutes of meeting them. Yeah, it's, but, uh, yeah I've, I've been doing that for a few seasons now, and it, it takes a lot of the guesswork, and, and uh, it, it's kind of got some inherent safety measures built in. So you got to check that out if you haven't yet. Yeah, so it's funny. I posted a uh, a picture on Instagram on one of my stories uh, last weekend prior to, to going up and hanging some stands. And uh, I actually had someone comment uh, on the story and they're like, you know, is there a reason why you don't use a saddle? You know, and and uh, there, there really isn't. Um, I, I've, I've not tried one. Um, it's just with with the property that we hunt, you know, we have, shoot seven or eight different stands i mean we have about 140 acres so we have like seven or eight stands set up throughout the property so you know we have the opportunity depending on the wind and stuff like that to be able to to hunt different locations so i haven't really needed to be super mobile but i mean i was at an outdoor show um earlier this winter before everything got shut down and you know there was tethered the 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 tree saddle company was Mm -hmm. there and you know wandered over there and was kind of looking at that stuff and it's it's super intriguing to me, and I mean, I got to believe that within the next year or two here, I'm probably gonna have to bite the bullet and and give it a shot. Yeah, I'm more than happy to field any questions or give you a little demo. I've done a few demos uh, throughout throughout the years. It's it's interesting, man. It's uh, it's it's uh, a, a big difference maker in my opinion. You know, I I hunt a lot of. Um, a lot of state land, public land here in Southeast Michigan around me. And, uh, it, it, it's pretty incredible. Like I, I actually uh, not giving away too much here, but I've, I've kind of used the tactic of hunt during the day, during the week. And it, it's amazing watching some of these deer, you know, stand up out of a bed and they look up and they are just keen on this tree stand that they know they they've either smelled or heard or both a person there and I'll watch them just stare at it. And I'm not very far from a lot of these stands because a lot of them are hung in good spots, but they just, they're zeroed in on where they know people are. And if I can get close to them and they, you know, they see, oh, look, there's not a person there today. I've had some pretty cool close encounters, um, just playing the wind and playing, you know, the other people factor to my advantage. So you can, and you know, you can do that with a hang on stand and being quiet and all that. You can be mobile with a hang on stand, but I, I personally have found a lot of enjoyment in, um, you know, hopping around, trying new things and, and just, you know, being quiet and, and, yeah. uh, it's been, it's been fun. So how long does it take you? I mean, before we get into a real gear conversation here, how long does yeah. it take you to really get set up with, with one of those tree saddles? Uh, it really does not take long at all. Um, not to get too far down the road of gear. I, I have been using up to this year, those wild edge steps, which mm-hmm. are a little more time consuming, but it's a lot more 
customizable than sticks as far as, you know, you're placing each individual step where you want it so you can navigate around branches and obstacles and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm making the switch for a few different reasons. I'm making the switch to climbing sticks this year. Um, I found that climbing sticks are a little bit quicker from a setup perspective, um, but I can be totally set up, you know, from the ground all the way up, stuff hung up, bull, you know, bow up with an arrow knock and, you know, probably... 10 or 12 minutes or less. Oh, wow. And that's doing it like ultra, ultra quiet. Yeah, that's and that's really impressive too because sometimes, especially like, you know, once you get later in the season and you start doing the morning hunts, I mean, even though I have like my headlamp, man, I feel like I'm fumbling around half the time, pulling my bow up, you know, forget that there's a branch there, hit it with my bow, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and try and say that I'm the I'm the best hunter, but I, anything that you can do to kind of minimize your, your noise, especially getting set up is, yeah, is is worth it in my opinion yeah absolutely and i'm i'll put that disclaimer i'm no ultimate hunter either <laughs> i i'm just a normal guy out there who enjoys getting after it yeah so so speaking of being a normal guy so brian tell me what it is that you do for a living i know you're obviously you're you're at your home office there today but what is it that you uh, that you do yeah so i work for a pretty large professional services firm um, I specialize in like IT controls, business process controls. So I help companies uh, solve problems kind of in that arena. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to have kind of my core client base be in Michigan. So uh, back when I first started, I did quite a bit of traveling, spent a lot of time on the road. My wife and I decided uh, to you know, start a family. So we've got a, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old. So we got the girl, girl, boy. Um, and once we started having kids, um, again, I was, I was able to kind of work it out where, um, I'm, I'm home, you know, much more frequently. I, I very rarely spend, uh, you know, nights away unless I have to at this point. So, um, you know, bit busy kind of demanding job. Uh, but again, it's, it's also a blessing in the fact that there is quite a bit of flexibility baked in. So if I, you know, need to need to take some time off to get something done, you know, during the normal business hours, quote unquote, but know that I, you know, have to work on the back end in the evening or over the weekend or whatever. It's, uh, it's something that I have, have made work for me very well. I use it to my advantage. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I know that a lot of people, especially given, you know, what COVID has done to a lot of companies and, and forced a lot of employees to work from home that it, um, it can be a little trying to, to try to be, you know, effective uh, working from home, um, especially if both you and your wife are working from home. I know that for me, uh, it's become a lot more like working while the kids are taking a nap, doing a lot of my work at night after they go to bed, you know, because with, with you know, two young kids, um, you know, it's, it's not really fair to my wife to be like, yeah, you just go handle them. Like, I'm going to hop in the office and work for a couple hours, especially with the age that my kids are at. I mean, they're just they can be, they can be a handful. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very routine oriented too. So I had the, the whole, you know, this is how my week generally goes. And I, I'd spend a lot of time driving, you know, I would do a day trip somewhere within Michigan and it's, uh, you know, you mentioned COVID I've, I've been home since, you know, early to mid March, just like everyone else. And my, my kids were doing really well for a while as far as like respecting when dad's in the office, mm -hmm. we're not going to bother them. But I feel like over the past couple of weeks, they just, a switch has flipped and they don't care. I mean, just as recently as, you know, last week, you could hear some commotion above me. My, my basement's in the office and my daughter's burst in and I'm, I'm sitting here trying to lead a Zoom meeting with clients and they're screaming, <laughs> you know, Matthew's hurt, Matthew's hurt. And then 
30 seconds later, my wife comes in and the baby ended up splitting his head open on the oh, fireplace geez. and he needed some stitches. He's, he's fine. He's got a cool scar from it now, but he, he comes in and, you know, I got people that are like seeing everything going on and it's, uh, it's kind of become the new, uh, you know, to be expected, you know, people, people just know there's, there's family going on, you're at home and it yeah. is what it is at this point in time. Yeah. I'm also seeing that a lot of companies are, are realizing that <clears throat> employees can be, you know, kind of just as effective and just as productive at home. Um, so it's, it seems like that a lot of companies are starting to just kind of say, hey, just stay home for the foreseeable future, you know, and, and once maybe there's a vaccine or, you know, numbers have gotten to a point where it's, you know, much more manageable that we'll bring you back into the office then. But right now it's, you know, kind of staying at home is kind of status quo, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Again, super fortunate. That's, that's been kind of the, the path that we've taken at my, uh, my work is just no, you know, no pressure to return to work. Our offices are still closed kind of, you know, they've already just announced an extension. So past Labor Day, um, we'll, we'll see where it ends up, but yeah, there's, there's no pressure. And we've been at least, you know, my, my group, my part of the practice, we've been, um, you know, just as productive as ever. We're, we, you know, didn't really miss a beat. We've been, remote for so long as far as you know the nature of the work that we're doing traveling from client to client right. it, it was kind of second nature for us to just pick up where we left off yeah so now are you original are you like are you a michigan native are you originally from southeast michigan yeah. here okay yep yep born born and raised uh my family moved to the brighton area from westland when i was i don't know like nine or something like that we've lived um, we lived in Brighton ever since. And my wife, same deal. I met her in high school at Brighton High School. Um, her family's been from the area. So we've we've got a lot of family and, and friends that we've kind of grown up with in the area here. Yeah, that always helps. I know uh, my wife is, a re- I'm not, <clears throat> I'm originally from uh, like northern lower Michigan where I grew up. And then post-college, uh, my wife is from from this area and, and her family's in this area. And then now actually my sister and my mom live kind of out by you out in South Lyon area. So yeah, it's nice yeah. to have, yeah, to have family close by for sure. Yeah. I don't know how some people do it, having a family and kids and stuff without that support system. It's uh, it's a big help sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, an immense amount of respect for, for people that are, <laughs> yeah, that don't have, you know, uh, grandparents that can take the kids for a day or something that are exactly. close by and that are trying to, to juggle all these different things. Exactly. So, so how was it exactly that you were introduced to the outdoors and, and hunting and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so, so growing up, we spent, you know, every, every fall I would really look forward to like, you know, deer season. And it, it's funny thinking about it now, but when I lived in Westland and I was, you know, I was young, I would call it like, oh, we're going up north. And we would come, you know, we'd come from Westland to the Brighton area to come <laughs> hunting on some state land or public land. And that was up north to me when I was a little kid. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been, you know, had my dad and my, my grandpa and uncles take me out hunting quite a bit from a very early age. Uh, and then fishing. We did quite a bit of fishing. I actually probably did more fishing when I was younger um, than I did hunting and certainly more than I do now, but, um, yeah, it was, it was really just my, my dad and, and uncles and everyone get me out hunting and my, my grandpa and my dad, my uncles taking me out fishing, just, you know, public lakes around here doing a lot of, you know, easy access from shore type stuff. Um, nothing really special, but that was really what kind of got me interested and, and kept me, kept me coming back. 
Um, I had a little bit of a, a hiatus during, you know, my, my college years. Um, so I, I played hockey for four years all throughout college, uh, which was great. It was kind of what sucked up all my time and, and kept me, you know, sane and on track through college. And then once uh, once I graduated and that was done, it was like this huge time void. And I, I was able to, to reconnect with the outdoors and get back to hunting and fishing and doing a lot of the stuff that I kind of forgot about right. uh, for that period, which uh, it kind of funny, not, not really funny, but my, you know, my wife, I met her right at the tail end of high school and she really only ever knew me as like being really into hockey and playing hockey. So when that all stopped, she's like, you know, wait, what? Like you're going to, you're going to go hunting and fishing and you do all this stuff that I never have seen you do. So it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, uh, some some interesting discussions especially early on when i got you know big into like the the duck hunting phase of my career and all that but uh yeah since you know since then it's been i don't know i've been out of college for a decade now which flew by but uh i've i've really gotten more involved in hunting and kind of related it back to you know oh this is something i can do for like awesome food that i can put on the right. table and feed yep. my family so hunting and foraging and all that good stuff. So I'm going to take a sidebar here. Where did you play hockey at? Because I, your story is is so similar to mine. I mean, from back to where you talked about, you know, being introduced to it with like your dad and your grandpas and your your grandpa and your uncles. I mean, I was the exact same way. And then I got to college and I played I played football in college. So for four years, it was like all that I did, and I had zero time to do any of that stuff, you know, it's, and especially like, and then in the summer, you know, summer workouts and stuff like that. I mean, there was, I mean, it was a full-time job for, for me while I was in college. So I had, I think I had, I did one like fishing trip during like the fall or no, excuse me, must've been during the spring, um, doing some steelhead fishing with my dad and my uncle where I drove up to like the rifle river. Cause I would, went to school in Saginaw and like, I remember leaving my dorm at like two or three in the morning to meet them there to get a spot in the river, you know, prior to, and you know, of course I didn't go to bed that night cause you're 18, 19 years old and you're like, Oh yeah, I can, I can pull it on later to go fishing. Like it's not a big deal. And I think I fished for like an hour, caught a fish and I was like, all right, I'm going to the truck to sleep. Like I'm, I'm done, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I, I actually have the same fishing story. I, I had a very small number of trips like that during college up for, uh, you know, salmon and stuff on the PM. But, um, yeah, I, I played at the University of Michigan Dearborn. So it was okay. um, not, you know, not an NCAA sanctioned sport, but it was uh, a, a pretty serious um, club program. I mean, we, we did uh, kind of the, the regional thing. So we traveled quite a bit out of state, had some cool trips. Um, you know, as far west as like Iowa and as far east as um, Maryland and kind of everywhere in between. So it was it was a really awesome experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. It was a good way to kind of stay in shape and stay active and, and just kind of get connected. Yeah, um, some of my yeah, some of the best friends I have, you know, I, I met through through sports in college that I'm, you know, that'll be lifelong friends. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about, you know, not just I mean, if you're fortunate enough to be able to, to play at a, at a higher level in college and stuff like that, but just the lessons and, and things like that, that sports teaches you, you know, more, you know, I think more than anything, it teaches you how to overcome adversity. Right. Because more times than not, you're on the losing end in sports. So I think it's a it teaches a lot of great life lessons. Absolutely. And there's a lot that I've learned 
from just playing sports growing up that is really relatable into the uh, to the outdoors community. You know, adversity, challenge, discomfort, um, all, all that good stuff. It it kind of translates universally between the two. So that that's also something that I think is a little interesting about that. Yeah, and with a, a last name like Chica, I mean, hockey seems like kind of the only thing for you as far as sports goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm still getting used to uh, people people calling me by my first name. I kind of went by the, the last name my entire life, which it's funny because when I'll you know occasionally I'll hear my dad's friends talking to him, and it's the same deal. And my little brother, he played hockey, and same deal. It's like you know, it's just one of those things where I think it's again universal in sports is you either are earn or are given a nickname and uh that sticks yep yeah i still have yeah a handful of friends from college that call me by my nickname whether they even know my first name at this point is is kind of up in the air (laughs) (laughs) and i I won't ask what that nickname is or how you earned it because sometimes those are uh those are locker room stories stories. yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly so at what point was it, Brian, did you decide to like, at, you know, conservation, what did, when did you kind of make that switch to, you know, being an avid outdoorsman to wanting to, to give back and really make a difference, um, for conservation? Yeah, there's, there's kind of a, I guess, two points that I can think of. So one, um, it, I, I got big into like, you know, listening to podcasts and outdoor stuff and just kind of consuming as much media as I can. Um, so a lot of the stuff that like Randy Newberg and Ranella and those kind of those big names in the outdoor industry were putting out really opened my eyes to some of the issues and not only issues on like, you know, public land stuff and R3, you know, hunter number type stuff, but, um, just conservation in general, like, you know, we're out there enjoying and and a lot of times like taking right. resources from the land and the land has to offer. Um, but, you know, really kind of challenging you and questioning, but, you know, you're, you're doing all this, you're getting this benefit, but what are you doing to give back and to ensure one, that it's going to be around for generations to come and, and two, that you're leaving in a better spot than, than it was when you found it. Right. Um, so I would say, you know, that was kind of like the first eye opener, like, wow, there's an opportunity to do more. There's a need to be doing more. Um, and then two, you know, when I, when I started having children, uh, it was another kind of changing point. Like it just further reinforced, I want my kids to be able to experience this, this, I want to do stuff with them. I want them to be able to do stuff on their own. So it's, it's, it's ultra important personally that i continue to kind of head down that path um as well as impress upon them the importance of a lot of this stuff so you know we we had our our second child shortly after we had our first child it was very close to like an irish twin situation (laughs) um so i i ended up taking uh our our older daughter you know she was 15 months old at the time and I, i just spent a ton of time with her in a backpack hiking and, you know, from a very early age, that was what she was used to. And we would, you know, just, I, I'm, I'm my, my motto or my thing that I try and remember when I see other people doing a lot more in the conservation space is just do what you can. So like mm-hmm. picking up garbage, it's as simple, like if you see something on the trail, pick it up. So I've, I've tried to impress from, uh, from a very early age in all of my kids, like 
you know, do what you can. You don't have to move mountains, but if you can do something to make a difference, do it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't really know where I was going with that thought, but that's, that's kind of the approach that I've taken, uh, from, you know, from the getting children outdoors and getting them engaged and teaching them, um, aspect. Yeah. It's it, your story or your, your kind of reasoning, uh, your turning point on, on when you decide to take a more active role in conservation. I mean, there's, you, you, you touched on a few things that I've heard from, from some of our other guests. One, listening to Randy Newberg. I mean, obviously anyone in this space is familiar with Randy and, and his message and the work that he does for conservation and public lands. Um, but then also you touched on, you know, once you had kids and you started realizing that you wanted to pass that, you know, the same enjoyment that you get out of it onto them and impress upon them, you know, the importance of, you know, is something as simple as picking up trash and, and leaving things better than we found it. I mean, for me, that was the exact kind of turning point for me is, is once my wife and I had our first kid and I started to realize that, man, like I want to get her involved in the outdoors, you know, just to, like, I get so much enjoyment out of it. And, and, you know, maybe when she gets older, you know, maybe she won't have the same enjoyment, but at least she'll understand the importance of, you know, taking care of the land, whether she decides to hunt or fish or, or anything like that is kind of, you know, I mean, that's, that's just kind of icing on the cake if, 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 you know, our kids decide they want to do that, but knowing the importance of, of, you know, keeping things in, in a good place and, and leaving them better than you found them is, is more important really. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's been cool, you know, kind of just teaching them. And then, you know, I've, I've brought them, um, again, not to get too, too far off track and like name dropping people, but Zach, he, you know, last year he organized a, uh, a cleanup day down at Point Moye, which is a game area, um, in Southeast Michigan. It, you know, directly borders Lake Erie, which is one of our great lakes. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where it's a huge area, it's a great lake, and there's a ton of trash that washes up on shore. We, we walked, uh, you know, what I would consider a fairly small area, but we made a, a pretty big, you know, difference in that area. And again, it's, it's doing what you can. And I, yep. you know, Zach brought his, uh, his girls down there. I brought my girls down there and just, you know, get them out. Like, look, this, you know, this is yours, this, you know, this land, this water, this is yours. It belongs to everyone. And not everybody values it the same. Some people disrespect it and it's, you know, it's up to you to, uh, to get out there and take care of it. You know, if you see a problem, don't hesitate to do something about it. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things um, I've talked about with some people before, and, and Jared Frazier uh, on our very first episode talked about it that, you know, conservation isn't a competition, right? Just because, you know, like, Brian, if you pick up more trash than me, you're a better conservationist than me. Like, you know, that's, that's not the case at all. Like, every little bit, whether it's, you know, buying a membership, you know, um, spending time at a cleanup, like all of this stuff goes a long way and every little bit just, it adds up over time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, it, it, it's funny you mentioned that it's not a competition because I, I very often have to remind myself, like I see, you know, just, just last weekend, um, you know, J Jared and 2% had on their Instagram stories that, um, that, that goat kind of, you know, citizen science project where they were out, you know, bushwhacking and glassing up goats and looking for, um, you know, looking for information that they can then use to help inform people who are making decisions and managing mm -hmm. those animals. Like that looks awesome. I would absolutely love to do that. If I, you know, if I had the time right now, I, I would sign up for that 
next year and I'd be all over that. But I, I you know, I can't. I can't just, you know, right. take time away to travel and get out there and be away from the family. So again, I, I try and, you know, do, you know, do what I can, whether it's, you know, boots on the ground projects here, or putting in a phone call to your representative or sending an email or just, you know, even, you know, it, 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 not not correcting in a rude way, but just engaging in conversation with people who may be misinformed or misunderstand what you're, you know, what you're doing or the message you're trying to get across. It, it helps. So, yeah. And I think that there's absolutely uh kind of, we're, we're kind of at a, a turning point with the outdoors and with conservation, whereas it's kind of a passing of the guard where a newer generation is kind of starting to be ushered in and, and really starting to be at the forefront of these conversations and these movements. I mean, the Great American Outdoor Act, which was, um, you know, just passed in the Senate or the House, um, you know, a few weeks ago. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. huge piece of legislation. And, you know, really, it's going to be historical, you know, when yeah. we look back on this, you know, 20, 30 years from now. But having, you know, this younger generation take a, a different approach kind of to conservation. And, you know, I think we're, we're putting a very big emphasis on making sure that everyone around us, you know, knows the value of, you know, doing the work, uh, you know, the boots on the ground, uh, informing people who may not have other otherwise been informed on situations and, you know, and not just taking from the land, but giving back to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the other piece of that too is you know us us giving back and another thing that i really enjoy i'm i'm a big like boots on the ground and people person Mm -hmm. so the other component of that is like the r3 aspect so getting other people who are, are kind of you know maybe just totally disengaged they've been interested but they don't know how to go about it or they're kind of on the fringe like you know oh i you know i I, I do this, you know, whatever it is, backpacking or hiking, and I've always been interested in, in hunting and wanting to do more, but I never quite understood how to go about it. Getting those types of people, um, you know, educated and trained up and in the ranks of, like, you know, contributing active members who are, you know, you know now showing up for these types of cleanup days and, you know, purchasing tags that, you know, go directly back to the resource, things like that. So, that's that's another thing that I'm I'm really passionate about. In addition to kind of like these rehabs or cleanup type projects, is just engaging with people who are interested in teaching them what I know. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, as as outdoorsmen and outdoors women, I mean, that's kind of you know the least that we can do, right? Is make sure that we're informing people who who maybe don't know, you know, how, you know, even something as simple as like our you know the North American model of conservation, how that works. Right. I right. Mean, just just right. explain to them, you know, I mean, it's and it's not a super difficult conversation to have, especially if the other person's willing to listen, even if they're not you know, going to be a hunter or an angler or anything like that. Just the importance of, you know, sportsmen and sportswomen and, and all that they do for conservation in the wildlife. And if, if you're a backpacker and, you know, maybe you don't hunt or you don't fish, but you still you're still recreating on on public lands and, and things like that and how important that what we as outdoorsmen are doing, you know, how that, how that affects everything and, and the importance of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, uh, it, it's kind of cool. So I, I participated in the, the hunting for sustainability slash field to fork kind of cooperative between the QDMA and BHA last year. Um, that, I, that was my first year going through it. I can't remember if they had, I think they've done it the year previous, but not in Michigan, but anyways, um, last year, uh, participated as a mentor and it 
it was awesome. The, the, the person who I was paired up with, he's, he's actually turned into, um, you know, a, a friend. He's somebody I hunted with even after the program. I went out scouting with him just a few weeks ago. Um, but just seeing him, like he, he far surpasses me in his like outdoors abilities. Like, you know, he does these ridiculous through hikes and he's been fly fishing, but just seeing him, um, you know, interested in hunting deer Mm -hmm. and just jumping in like he's he's not afraid to like bust through a swamp and hang a stand in the dark now which is kind of cool i I thought that was really uh really cool but just seeing him um again kind of convert from somebody who's interested to now he's you know he's he is a deer hunter I, i would say he absolutely identifies as a deer hunter now um he he's showing up to you know some of these cleanups that we're doing through qdma and bha um, and he's just, you know, he's, he's full on like a direct, um, a direct case you can point to of the success of these types of programs and what, you know, what good it, it absolutely is doing for, uh, for the, the hunting and the conservation community. Yeah. And I'd imagine the, the kind of the trickle down effect that something like that has like introducing someone new to, to hunting, even though they're already into the outdoors. Well, now maybe he's talking to his buddies about hunting like oh man like you got to get into this you know it's just it's so awesome and and, you know if if they know him well enough like you know yeah i think you would really enjoy it i mean it's just you know it just takes one for things to kind of start snowballing you know yeah absolutely so as far as conservation organizations what are you spending a lot of your time volunteering with which which organizations so um, I'm a, I am a regional committee member at 2% for conservation. So I work with, um, Jared and Calvin and the, the crew to, um, drive the message there. I mean, re- whether it's recruiting new businesses, um, or recruiting individuals or just helping make the connection between 2% and the couple of conservation organizations that I'm involved with, mm-hmm. um, that that's really what that looks like. Um, and then you know, like actual, you know, species specific or cause specific organizations. Um, the, the two that I'm most active with are BHA and QDMA. Um, and again, it's, it's really one of those things where I, I kind of get my information from others who are in more active roles and I help out any, mm-hmm. in any way that I can, uh, for those. And then I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I would call it a less active member. It's kind of one of those things where I just, you know, pay, pay my membership fee and, um, I'm not really involved um, heavily to a couple other men, uh, organizations, RMEF, and uh, I think I actually need to re-up on Ducks Unlimited now that you brought it in front of mine. But uh, yeah, a cu- couple things like that. Yeah, and that's and, and and I I think when it comes to like being involved with conservation and what organizations that that people tend to get involved with, it really kind of I think when people first jump in, right, they they kind of think like, oh, I've got to you know get a membership with this group, with this group, with that group. And, and that's great. And I, I fully support that. I think as time goes on, when it comes time to re-up your membership, you kind of tend to take a bit more of a, a focused um, approach at it and say, okay, like what, what species are, or what is important to me? Like, so for use for, you know, especially being here in Southeast Michigan and, and hunting a lot of public land, I mean, access and, and what BHA is doing for access, like that makes complete sense. And then, you know, obviously starting, um, you know, hunting at a young age for whitetail, I mean, QDMA is, is um is definitely the route to go so i'm and kind of along the lines of that i'm I'm really 
excited to see what happens with the merger with QDMA yeah. and NDA and, and where that goes. I know I've uh, exchanged a few emails with Josh um, since uh, since the merger was announced, and you know he seems to be pretty excited about the the future of QDMA and the direction that it's going to be going. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're both doing great things. I I really looked forward to getting the um, the NDA newsletters, and um, that was that was kind of a cool and interesting deal. I mean, it was free to become a member, and they just you know whatever it was every week or other week, um, they just send you like here's what you need to know. Here's some action items, and here's some stuff that might be interesting or be helpful tips in the field or whatever. So I I think that that'll be uh, a, a pretty cool combination, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. So you had mentioned a few minutes ago um, the hunting for sustainability and the field to fork program. I mean, that's something that um, man, we keep talking about a lot of the same people with between Josh and Zach. And I mean, it's a it's a testament to those two for for the work that they're doing here in Michigan for sure. Um, but I had I had lunch with uh, Josh. This was again probably back in January or February, and you know mentioned to him you know I saw the the field to fork program that they had put on, and I mean that's something that. I think is, is awesome. I mean, how did, how did you find yourself involved with that? Um, it was, I mean, I, I, I think it was through Josh just kind of hearing, you know, it's, it's getting ready to happen. We're looking for mentors. We have X number of people signed up who are interested. And then I, I kind of heard also through Jason Meekoff, who's the, um, regional coordinator for for bha for this area that they were you know bha was kind of teaming up with qdma on it so i i signed up for it pretty early on in the year last year um and i'm, I'm very glad i did that was that was probably some of the most fun that i had all hunting season um it, at least in michigan uh last year they uh they they rented a couple cabins um in one of our our, our state game areas or rec areas i can't remember exactly what that classifies as but it it was um you know just show up have camp the first night and then you hunt a morning and evening and the following morning so you just kind of hang out for the weekend and camp and um it, it was it was a really great experience i i actually enjoyed getting to see the the person who i mentored i'm not going to drop his name here in case he doesn't want to be mentioned but just getting to see him experience a lot of the stuff that i kind of take for granted right um for you know for the first time and then you know getting to see him so after that weekend we stayed in touch throughout throughout the rest of the year and you know we hunted together a few times he hunted on his own quite a bit um in in one hunt it it actually it it turned into uh, a good hunt but it started out kind of as a gong show as far as like stumbling around in the dark and <laughs> getting lost and making too much noise but we did a hang and hunt on state land it involved a river crossing with waders super Ooh. early in the morning and uh he ended up getting a uh, he ended up getting a shot at a doe at 17 yards and she came in exactly like i was hoping she would uh his his sight on his bow was off we confirmed after the hunt it was like you know a couple feet or a couple inches to the the right at 20 yards but it was cool seeing him you know like he going through like oh my god there's a deer coming in and you know reminding him like okay get your bow Mm-hmm. And now you need to wait till she gets behind this bush to draw back, and then just like seeing the you know that the shaking hand and the dough oh, yeah. set in, yep. and then the arrows released, and I mean it, it stuck it stuck in a tree you know eight feet up because um, he he was way off uh, with his sight, but just you know the shot going off, him looking like what just happened? Did I hit it? And I was like, uh, you know I don't think he did. Look at that tree, but just seeing you know that 
that uh, adrenaline rush that he got and like the excitement I'm, you know, I was sitting in the tree and I'm even right now, like I'm starting to get a little jittery, just like yeah. and thinking it. It was, it was sweet. Um, so just that, that whole experience though, uh, the, you know, the connection that I was able to make with him and, and him getting connected to deer hunting is something that will, will stick with me for, for quite some time. And I'm, I'm interested to see how this year pans out for the, the field to fork and hunting for sustainability. I, I'm I'm hearing that there probably won't be like the the group right. aspect to it, the camp aspect. Um, but if you know if there's an opportunity to you know maybe do you know just pair up and, and meet someone new and take them and show them the ropes, I'd I'd absolutely be all over that, and I would encourage others to uh, to look into that if if that's something that interests you and you have the time to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, uh, I mean, I had mentioned that to Josh when we had lunch that day. It was like, you know, if you guys need mentors, if you need someone to hunt, like, let me know because I would, I would love to do that, you know, just to be able to expose someone else to, you know, hunting and kind of the, the highs and lows, the thrills that come with it. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's hard to really put into words. And I mean, you, you did a really good job just right there. But like, yeah, the I, I, I can literally just picture the guy you were hunting with, like, the shot goes off and he just like looks at you probably eyes you know big as golf balls going what just happened you know did i hit it you know because i'm presumably the deer ran off you know especially if he if he hit a tree i mean the noise and you know just the shot the sound of the bow like i can i can you know kind of see the whole situation and scenario playing out but yeah it, 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 it's awesome i mean how much pressure is there or how much pressure do you feel to make sure that you're you know kind of telling this guy the right thing and sometimes what i find is it's a lot easier to just do it when you're in the tree than to try to you know calmly explain to someone like okay here's what you do you know and like wait a second and all that i mean is was there like did you feel any pressure uh in that situation um i guess thinking back on it i don't i don't think so i i felt a little pressure because i had found the spot and i had hunted it before and I, I'd seen some deer and I, I was a little upset that it, it was such a challenge for us to get back. I, I admittedly got us lost on the way in I'm trying to take a little different <laughs> route and it did not work out like that. So I was, I was upset from that perspective, but, uh, no, I mean, he, he's very, he was very independent as far as, you know, hang and hunt. And I, I try to let him do his own thing, uh, with just a little, guidance or input mm-hmm. here and they're like you know you might not want to do this and here's why uh, but i i definitely try to let him hunt his hunt and and learn on his own with just minimal input or correction it's not like he you know just had no idea if, you know so it, it it's probably highly situational dependent and yeah yeah that makes total sense so as far as like this fall coming up i mean obviously deer season is i mean we're knocking on the door here especially um you know with you know archery season being just over well no a couple months away yet but i mean i was i uh i went and got some coffee for my wife and i this morning and i'm kind of in a bit more of a rural area where i live and to get to like the the local starbucks it's probably like a 10 minute drive and i pass a lot of like ag fields and and stuff like that on the way and you know i'm going down the road doing 55 today and there's like a, a group of fields that I've like glued to every time I drive by them, especially this time of year. And there was just a, a stud of a deer that, I mean, he was probably 
between 75 and 100 yards away and I'm going, you know, 55 in my truck and I can see how big this deer is from from that far. So like things like that kind of really, you know, get the uh, the adrenaline up a little bit and, and really oh, yeah. make you ready for this time of year. So do you have any um, any like big hunts planned or are you just, you know, sticking local here? <laughs> Um, no, I, I, uh, I, so I'll, I'll do a little, a little name drop and plug here. So a, a good friend, uh, Jared Walker, who is the owner of Flint Ridge Rifles, which is a 2% certified business, the yep. first, and I believe only still certified, um, rifle company. Yep. He was lucky enough to cash in his Colorado points and he has drawn a mule deer tag and an elk tag. Um, I'll I'll let him give details if you end up connecting with him offline if if he's willing to share. But he he drew a rifle tag out there and he was gracious enough to invite me to tag along to hopefully be a uh, a pack mule. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll it'll be my first time heading west um, for anything, which I'm very much looking forward to. Yeah. Um, and then I've I've also got big plans with my daughter. Okay. To uh, to take a deer while she is out with me this year. She's been out several times, but we have not been uh, successful in notching a tag um, for a variety of reasons, mostly comfort and snack and just other <laughs> child related iPads and snacks and <laughs> yeah. So we've got uh, we've got big plans to to do some. Uh, some doe patrol early season this year but no other other than that it's going to be um, my, my typical hanging around southeast michigan checking in on some of the normal spots um and, and throwing a few new ones into the mix that we have uh identified this year i'm going to try and do a little more hunting from the ground yeah and in some some unique areas and see see how that pans out so i I'm I'm looking forward to kind of expanding the the methods that I hunt this year. As far as like you know, I'd, I'd like to shoot you know a deer with a bow on the ground and see how that works out. I've I've never uh, never been successful at that, but I've had some close encounters. Yeah, and that's that's the the cool thing about hunting, especially whitetail, is you know the variety of ways you can kind of go about it and the different methods that you can use to, to try to harvest a deer and then like you just said you throw a five-year-old into the mix i mean and it really <laughs> it sets the bar pretty high in terms of difficulty but no i think that that's awesome i've you know my daughter she'll be she's almost four so i've i've had some conversations with her like oh like do you want to come hunting with dad this year and you know she's like oh yeah like yeah dad like let's go hunting and i don't i mean obviously she doesn't you know understand that at all but even if if I can just get her in a ground blind and just have some deer come in that she can see, I think would be awesome. I don't know if if my wife is quite ready for me to try to harvest the deer with uh with with her in the blind with me, but uh, <laughs> but we'll see we'll see kind of how the year plays out. And, and yeah, the the same thing like you said, do some doe patrol early in the year when you know if you can if you're fortunate enough to be able to hunt over some food or something like that, you know, kind of really up your chances uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, that's that's the plan. We're we're lucky enough to have access to some uh, some some family owned private land, and we've got a plan in place to get out and do some scouting uh, for early antlerless fire alarm, and see how that pans out. Nice. She's she's all excited for it. 
Well, that's awesome, man. I wish you guys uh, yeah. nothing but luck, and I'm sure that we'll uh, we'll stay in contact um, as deer season comes along, and you'll have to let me know, you know how yeah. that uh, how that all plays out. Yeah, likewise. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I hope you can uh, you can get her out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, um, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to hop on the podcast today. I really enjoyed you know hearing your story and you know being able to exchange some some college stories and things like that. It's not often that uh, <laughs> I'm able to kind of relive the glory days for a few minutes, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate everything you're doing. I uh, it, I actually took a look. Um, the, the, uh, earlier this morning before the call, I was reading through your about section on the average conservationist. And it's funny that, you know, you, you hit on like everything that I kind of put together in my, you know, my notes as I'm preparing for this today is just what you're about is kind of exactly what I'm about. You know, yeah. do what you can. You're, you're just an average person out there who understands that, um, you know, you truly can make a difference no matter how big or small, just, doing something is better than doing nothing. So thank you for, for being uh, a voice and using this platform for, uh, for a good cause. Oh yeah, no, no problem. I mean, I, I really enjoy getting to, to speak to people from, you know, kind of all walks of life and all parts of the, uh, the country that, you know, kind of look at conservation a little bit differently, or they go about how they're affecting conservation a little bit differently. And it's all, it's all in the name of, excuse me, protecting, you know, wildlife and, and leaving things better than we found it. So uh, there's, you know, hundreds and, you know, probably thousands of people out there that are, you know, just like you and I, we're, we're just trying to make a difference. And, and those are the people that I really want to to celebrate. And I want other people to hear their stories because, you know, I think it kind of gives them a little bit of motivation or hopefully gives them a little bit of motivation to, you know, get out and, and make a difference and realize that even though they're not, you know, some big name in, in the outdoor industry, that they can still have a very, you know, large impact uh, for the better. Right on. I yeah. agree. All right, Brian. Well, thank you again, man. And uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. Sounds good. Thank right. you. Take care. Yep, you too. All right. A big thank you to Brian for hopping on the podcast today. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners over at Stone Glacier. Be sure to check them out at stoneglacier.com. Uh, I would also like to thank our partners, 2% for Conservation. Uh, and remember that August 22nd, uh, which is just around the corner here, is Community Conservation Day. 2% for Conservation is asking that uh, our listeners, no matter uh, where you may live, uh, give back your time and dollars to wildlife on that day. Uh, and then, once doing that, post about the groups or um, conservation work that you supported. Um, you can buy a membership for your favorite group for a friend, uh, head out uh, you know, to a trailhead with a trash bag, partner with a local conservation cause that day, uh, really anything to get you outside and, and get you giving back. And while you're giving your time or dollars to conservation, remember to use the hashtag conservation day so that 2% can share your work with the world and so that you can be entered to win some prizes from 2% certified brands that are supporting uh, community conservation day. Uh, so let's all get together, uh, help wildlife in some of our areas um, that are near and dear to us. And remember to use the hashtag conservation day uh, Community Conservation Day, um, which is August 22nd. And if you guys need any more information, um, be sure to check out fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Stay safe out there. And remember that conservation starts with you.